I hadn't been in that area for many years, and as I was driving through, uh, I realized that that's largely Indian reservation area. And uh, we went from one uh, little village to another little village and then popped onto a sort of a very large uh, town in the middle of the desert. That's an Indian town. And we pulled in and got some gas. And in fact, we, we just were in that kind of area for hours for a very long day. And uh, I had remembered reading that uh, those, those areas where Indians have been given reservations and all of that are very difficult areas. Their life is very difficult. There's a lot of alcoholism. Uh, there's a lot of uh, disaster in, in homes and marriages. And uh, it's a very, very depressed area in many cases, a very difficult area for people to live in. And uh, I had become burdened for that area just personally uh, due to a quite, quite interesting thing that happened when I was in Israel last summer. I got a phone call in a hotel right on the beach uh, in Israel. And uh, this man said, uh, I want to ask you a big favor. And uh, I mean, that's a long way to call somebody, you know. And I said, sure, whatever I can do to help. He said, well, there's a guy who, uh, who operates an Indian radio station. And uh, he's one of the key people in, in this area trying to reach the Indian people with uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he just had a motorcycle accident. He ran his motorcycle in the back of a semi-truck. He lost his leg, had to be amputated, and he's in a coma. And he may not live. And uh, he has listened to so many of your tapes and he's followed your ministry. He, he doesn't seem to respond to anybody's voice. And as an act of desperation, we're just hoping that he might respond to your voice. Is that bizarre? And I said, oh boy, this is a lot of pressure. <clears throat> Make sure I'm in right voice here. Uh, guy's life could be in the balance. Uh, I don't know whether this is uh, going to happen or not. So, amazing situation. They patched me from the phone in Israel into the, into the bedroom, uh, the, the hospital room, rather, where this guy was in a coma. And uh, I just, you know, they told me his name. I never met him. I just said, George, uh, and I started talking to him and just kept talking to him and uh, had prayer with him and, and all of that. Uh, there was no response at the time other than his eyes started moving and they all got kind of excited about the fact that his eyes started moving and he, uh, they, they interpreted that as maybe he understood. Who knows? Well, it was a matter of a few days later he came out of the coma and he remembered everything I'd said. He came to visit our church. Uh, the Lord has really worked on his heart. He has a tremendous burden uh, to to proclaim the gospel. He may be headed for seminary eventually, a wonderful guy. And I was so privileged to be able to meet him. And uh, of course, he threw his arm around me and thanked me for talking to him while he was in a coma. I don't really believe that that did it, but that was, uh, it was a wonderful opportunity. And so uh, again, it re and this was just recently when he was coming, came out here after uh, going through all kinds of stuff to rehabilitate himself. And uh, it reminded me again of uh, that whole area and the need for the gospel among those, those people. And just in the last few days, I received a phone call and uh, sort of fulfilling my prayer, seeing, showing how God answers prayer. And I was told that grace to you is now being broadcast in the Navajo language throughout that whole area. Some guy is translating me on tape and they're sending it out. And it started, I think, either this week or last week, uh, the broadcast, the teaching of the word of God throughout the Navajo world. And, you know, I'm just so grateful for, for the Lord's goodness. Just another little piece of this world that the Lord allows us to touch and to minister to uh, people who have such great need. You might pray for that. You put that on your prayer list somewhere and pray for that brand new ministry of uh, grace to you uh, 
to the Navajo people. Um, also, it's a real burden for the, for the fellow who's doing it to go through everything, listen to all the tapes, translate it, write it down, then re-preach it on tape and do that five days a week all the time. That's uh, a great ministry. And I just wanted to share that prayer request with you because it's an answer to prayer in my own heart, and yet it's, it's a prayer request to see what God will do in the future. We have a great privilege this morning because Scott Artavanis is our speaker. Scott graduated from the Master's College, would you believe, in 1985. 19, that's hard to believe, Scott. Scott was our star point guard on the basketball team in those days, and his father still believes he's the greatest player that's ever come through this school. His mother probably as well. You know his mom. She works down in the financial office. But Scott graduated in 1985. Uh, then he went on to the Master's Seminary, graduated in 1988, served for many years as college pastor with me at Grace Community Church. And then in August of 1994, the Lord called him to Grace Church in the Chicago area, DuPage County area, a great church, a church that's flourishing and booming and growing, a church that has a special place in my heart because God is there and also because my son, Mark, his wife, Erica, and uh, our little granddaughter, Kylie, and we're supposed to have another little baby. They're going to have one this month, I think, so... They're in that church, and occasionally I get the opportunity to be back there. It's a great church. If you know anybody in the Chicago area, Grace Church of DuPage is a marvelous, marvelous church. I've watched that church grow through the years, and they're blessed to have you, Scott, and we are too. God bless you. Let's welcome Scott Artavanis. It's great to be with you this morning and, and be back at home. This is home for me um, and it is great to be back. It is hard to believe that uh, it was 11 years ago uh, that I graduated and time does go so quickly. And uh, it's a little bit of an adjustment coming from Chicago. I was telling some of the guys that uh, um, the other day on Sunday morning I was snow blowing my uh, driveway. Yeah, I didn't know what a snowblower was until I moved back there. It's this machine that shoots out the snow into the, into the neighbor's yard, and then he gets up and shoots it out back at you. And uh, it was five below. And, uh, you know, the worst part about living in that is you only... I live about eight minutes from the church, and by the time I get in the car, my car's freezing. You know, and, and by the time you get there, you're still freezing. And then you get into the church, and you're freezing. And then usually about 11 o'clock, you feel mighty nice. But uh, this was funny for me to get off the plane and to, to enjoy this weather. It is good. Uh, I'm grateful to be back and have the opportunity to open the Word of God with you. And what a privilege it is. I look back at uh, the privilege that the Lord gave me to be here. And uh, I was thinking to play basketball here. And I was able to propose to my my wife up on the hill right behind Slight. That's a good opportunity for some of you men. Just right up on the hill up there. And uh, so I have many uh, precious memories here. This is a great opportunity. I want you to open your Bible to the book of Ephesians this morning. To the book of Ephesians. Uh, we're obviously addressing that great subject of the love of God. And I think you would have to affirm that that love was greatly demonstrated in the act of Jesus Christ going to the cross on our behalf. In fact, to talk about the love of God, you couldn't really approach that subject without a look at the cross as Dave Maddox said when we started our series I was thinking of that scripture in Romans 5 8 but where it says but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us 
He died for us. That the love of God was demonstrated in the very fact that Christ died. Now, I want to take you to Ephesians chapter 1 this morning. And if, if we can, I'd really like to just look at a phrase in Scripture. Let me set the context for you in chapter 1. Paul is articulating the great doctrine of our salvation in that chapter. And in chapter 1, in verses 3 through 14, he's looking at the work of the Father, the work of the Son, and the work of the Holy Spirit in terms of our salvation. He finishes each section of that great chapter with the fact, look what it says in 1.6, to the praise of the glory of His grace. Then he goes on to the work of the Son in 7 through 12, and he finishes that section at the end of 12 where it says that we should be to the praise of His glory. And then he looks at the work of the Spirit in 14, and he finishes verse 14 talking about the sealing of the Spirit with that thought to the praise of His glory. Everything is going to the praise of the glory of God. So he moves us with this thought of the great work of the Father. Look in chapter 1, verse 4. He says there of the Father's work that He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Verse 5, it says that the Father predestined us to adoption as sons. And then it finishes there the work of the Father that it would reflect to the praise of the glory of His grace. What Paul does in chapter 1 in describing the work of the Father is show us salvation's choice. What a, what a thought it is to know that He chose you before the foundation of the world. That He, in verse 5, predestined you and marked you out and brought you into His family as sons. And then He says all of this should reflect to God's glory. But as He moves into the section on the work of the Son, as He talks about the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, He makes a transition in verse 6. Look at it. He says, to the praise of the glory of His grace. And then watch how this grace came to us in 6b. It says, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. And then in verse 7 it says, in Him, in the Beloved, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. So He talks about God's grace in verse 6, specifically the Father. That grace was bestowed upon us in the Beloved, and it is in the person of Jesus Christ that we've been redeemed, that we've been brought back, and we've been brought back through His blood, and we've been granted the forgiveness of our sins. And so what He does in chapter 1 is He moves from the Father to the work of the Son. He really takes us from eternity before the foundation of the world, but when He comes to the Son, He brings us into time present in history. He moves us from a view of heaven where the Father was seen electing and choosing and marking us out to the work of the Son and His great work on the cross in, chapter, in verse 7. So He shifts focus. He, he finishes by saying all of this is magnifying the grace of God. And, and again, when we look at salvation, it isn't at all the grace of God. When you look at what God has done in your life, when you look at, I look at what He's done in my life, the only thing you can say is it's the grace of God. It's what Lynn spoke about to open our conference. The grace of God is God's unmerited favor given to those who are undeserving. He grants us favor, but we're, we're not a deserving people. His grace speaks of His unmerited favor given to those who were spiritually dead and separated from God. You say, what was our life like before God? Well, the Bible tells us we were at war with God. We were separated from God. We were fighting God. We were pressing God out of our life. 
We were opposed to God. We were dead in our sin, as it says in Ephesians 2.1. We were under the control and the power of Satan. We lived according to the lust of the flesh. We lived according to the lust fulfilling the desires of our mind. Ephesians 2 tells us that we were children of wrath. Romans 3 tells us that we're not seeking God. Jeremiah 17 says that we have a wicked heart. Romans 3 tells us that we were morally bankrupt. It says that we're without excuse. Romans 1. And here in Ephesians it says we're without hope. And the thought would be in light of that condition, what can man do? What can you do in light of that condition? And the answer from the Word of God is that you can do what? Nothing. There was nothing you can do to gain your salvation. Nothing you can do, nothing I could do to merit the salvation that comes from God. And the reason being is 2.1 says, and you were what? Dead in your trespasses and sins. Dead people don't respond. Dead people can't respond to a holy God. And so when we talk about salvation and the work of the Father, He praises the grace of God. You know, I remember as a young boy growing up in Canoga Park in the San Fernando Valley, and I was, I don't know, seven or eight at the time, and I remember fire trucks were, were blaring down the street, just this little street in Canoga Park, and paramedic trucks were after that, and I saw out the front window of our home and I ran out the street and they were just two houses down and I ran over to the house and the door was open and firemen and paramedics paramedics were running in and out of it and I walked into the home where I knew him we were neighbors and there was the man dead I'd never seen anything like that in my life I was young and here was this man on the ground and I'll never forget his wife they were older probably in their late 60s and she was beating on his breast saying wake up Paul, wake up! And she was shaking him, and of course, he couldn't respond. And the reason he couldn't respond is he was dead. And as I think about that in the spiritual realm, it's no different. We can't respond to a holy God. And the reason is, is that we're dead in our trespasses and sins. Dead people can't respond. Dead people can't seek after God because they're dead. And so the reason he magnifies the grace of God in here is it's all grace. Of course, Ephesians 2.8, we know it well. It says, for by what? Grace. You have been saved. Why is it grace? Why is it God's favor? Because we couldn't deserve it. In fact, look at Ephesians 2.5. It says there, and I'm just setting this up to come back to chapter 1. He says, even when we were dead in our transgressions, we were made alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So when you talk about salvation, when we speak about God's love, it's all the grace of God. In fact, Paul said in Romans 3.24 that we were declared righteous, we were justified as a gift of His grace. And again, it's God's unmerited favor given to those who are undeserving. In fact, Paul said it this way about the grace of God and the love of God in terms of our salvation. In Romans 5.6, he said, for a while we were still what? Helpless. So salvation is the grace of God. It's unmerited. What does that mean? You can't work for it. The grace of God is undeserving. What does that mean? You, just, you don't deserve the grace of God. The grace of God is unsought. You were not looking for the grace of God. Why? Because you were dead. I was dead. To say it another way, grace cannot be bought. You can't buy grace. Grace cannot be earned. You can't earn grace by doing some kind of good work. Or to say it another way, you can't deserve grace by performing some kind of religious activity. Because if you could, 
it would not be grace. Because Paul said in Romans 11:6, he said, But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. So salvation is the grace of God. And so look again at 1.6. He finishes that work of the Father and he says, To the praise of the glory of His grace. Blessed be God, verse 3, because of the Father's work in eternity past and we glory in that grace. Now, look at what he says in 6b though. He said, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In other words, it is the grace of God with the work of the Son. Lynn spoke of that the other day, didn't he? For the grace of God has what? Appeared. And whenever you find and see the love of God and you see the grace of God, it's always linked to the Lord Jesus Christ. And what Paul does here in 6 is show us how the grace of God was manifested in our salvation. And the, the answer is, is that how it was manifested is, look at that phrase again in 6b. It was bestowed upon us in the Beloved. And Paul goes to great lengths in this book to show us that every blessing that you enjoy in the Christian life is connected in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. So inseparably linked is the Lord Jesus Christ to the work of the Father that Paul can't leave him out of the picture. In fact, I think Paul just loved Christ. Look how much he spoke of him in 1.1. Look, look at all the different names he, he uses for Christ. Look at 1.1. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. He says, by the will of God to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. So he calls them Christ Jesus. They're in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father, but who is it connected with? And the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, in Christ. And then look at verse 4, Just as He chose us in Him. Verse 5, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Paul keeps repeating his name, doesn't he? He just loved the person of Christ. He had delight in referring to the matchless name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But what's fascinating, and I just, I couldn't get past this in my own communion with the Lord, is that phrase in verse 6, that God's grace comes to us or is bestowed upon us in the Beloved. Now, as we talk about the love of God this morning, and as we look at that phrase, I just ask you this question. Why that phrase? Why does he use that phrase to speak of the channel of the grace of God that's bestowed upon us, but he says that it comes to us in the Beloved? In other words, I find it interesting that you go to verse 1, to speak of Christ, he calls him Christ Jesus. You look at verse 2 and he calls the name, he calls him the Lord Jesus Christ. You get to verse 3, and he mentions this word, in Christ. You get to verse 4, and he uses this descriptive title, in Him. You get to verse 5, and he just calls him Jesus Christ. But suddenly, as you get to verse 6, he uses that phrase, in the Beloved. Now, why the abrupt change? I mean, you have to ask that. 
Why does he call him Christ Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, in him, in Christ, and then just Jesus Christ? And then he gets to 6b, and he uses that phrase, in the beloved. And here's the connection, it is this, is that it is in the beloved, watch this, that expresses how the grace of God has come to believers. In other words, this grace, this love, comes to us, but it comes to us in the Beloved. In other words, it is in the gift of the Son that the gift of grace becomes ours. Now, what's fascinating is, look at verse 7, though. He goes on to talk about the work of Christ. In Him, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. He goes on to talk about the cross. He goes on, and you know, isn't it always in Scripture that you always find the cross mentioned? And this is what I really wanted to address to you. When we talk about the love of God, you could never get it away from the cross. When you talk about how was the love of God demonstrated, it was demonstrated on the cross. In fact, Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 2.2, you know it. He came to the Corinthian church and he said, For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him, what? Crucified. Another place to the Corinthians, he said in 123, But we preach Christ, and we preach Christ, what? Crucified. He says in 118 of Corinthians, For the word of the cross is to those who are perishing, what? Foolishness. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. He loved the cross. Because he saw the love of God on the cross. And even Paul said in Galatians 6.14, But may it never be that I should boast except in the what? The cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, it's in the cross. It's in Christ's atoning death that the believer has come to have a relationship with God. In fact, is it any wonder why in heaven when you open the book of Revelation, they're crying out, Worthy is the what? Is the Lamb slain. But... Look at 7 again. He says, in him we have redemption. Here's what I find fascinating. Is that before he takes us to the cross, and before he takes us to the cost of redemption, he reminds us that the Lord Jesus Christ was the beloved Son of God. In other words, when he looks at the Father, he gives you salvation's choice. When he looks at the work of the Son, he gives you salvation's cost. But before he walks us into verse 7, he tells us that this grace was bestowed on the Beloved. And see, before we could fully understand the redemption provided, Paul wants us to remind us what salvation's cost was in the Trinity. Look at it with me. You say, what does it mean that he's the beloved son? I mean, how could I understand the love of God? How do I understand God's love for us? I would propose to you this morning is this. Don't ever forget who he was. We magnify the cross, oh yes. We boast in the cross of Christ. But let me propose this to you this morning. Don't ever forget who Jesus Christ was. Not on this earth. Don't forget who He was in the eyes of the Father. And don't forget who the Son was as He looked to the Father. So what does that mean that He bestowed grace on us in the Beloved? What does the Beloved mean? 
What does it mean that Jesus is the beloved son or it's in the beloved? Well, the beloved refers to the one, here's what it means, who is in a state of being loved by God. The beloved just means literally the son of his love. The son of his love. That word was used in Christ's baptism also. Remember in Mark 1.11 when the voice came out from heaven and said, Thou art my what? Beloved Son. And, and that word beloved speaks of an intimate relationship with God. Literally, you could say in Mark 1.11, This is my Son, the Beloved, in whom I am well pleased. And the text literally says, in whom I've always been well pleased. And then at the transfiguration, remember that in Mark chapter 9, Matthew 17, where Jesus peeled back and showed him his glory. It says there that the voice came out again and said, this is my beloved son, or literally this is the son of my love. Listen to him. And so this word is used. It was used in the gospel of Mark when the parable of the vineyard, when they sent the slave and they beat up the slave and then... He sent another slave to see what his vineyard was doing and they beat him up. And then they sent another slave and they killed that slave. And then it says that the owner sent his own what? Beloved son. All of these terms are used in describing who the Lord Jesus Christ is. He's the beloved son. See, we can gain a magnificent look at redemption when we understand that God sent his only begotten son or here in the text, his only beloved son. Let me for a moment just appeal to you. You think, how is this love demonstrated? Well, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We look at his life and his death, but have you ever considered what he gave up? You say, how do I know God loves me? How, do I, how can I understand that love? Well, look at it from his pre-existence. Look at the relationship that Jesus had with God before He came to this earth. Remember what He said to the Jews in John chapter 8 and verse 58? He said, before Abraham was born, what did He say? I am. He said, before He was born, I am. He says in John 1, 1, in the beginning, you say the beginning of what? Well, before time began. You say, where was Christ? In the glory of the Father. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You say, who was Christ before He came down in His incarnation? Well, we know from the Scriptures that He was the Creator of the world. It tells us in Colossians 1.16, For by Him all things were created. Everything was created by Him. It says in John 1.3, In Him all things came into being, and nothing that's come into being has come into being but by Him. It's quite a thought to think of what happened at the incarnation and what happened at the cross. You say, what was it like before he became a man and before he was born as we just celebrated his birth? Well, he said in John 10:30, I and the Father are one. See, the reality is this, is that Christ has always been. Always been. And the Trinity has existed from all eternity. See, God loves us, but here there's a special title given to Jesus Christ, is this, is that he's the beloved Son. Have you ever thought about before the Incarnation what it was like? There was always an unbroken, perfect relationship in the Godhead. You say, well, what was it like? Well, I don't know quite what it was like, but they were dwelling in glory together from all time. 
that from all time, the Son and the Father are the members of the Trinity were all together glorifying God there in splendid glory. And they were there together from all time. And then at that one moment, it says miraculously that Christ, being very God, being very Creator, being very sustainer of the world, yet miraculously, Paul said, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son. From dwelling in glory above, God sent forth His beloved Son. That's what John 3.16 says. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. This is God's Son. The second person of the Trinity. Dwelling in glory. Dwelling in perfection. Co-equal with God. The Creator of the universe. The Sustainer of the universe. The radiance of His glory. The exact representation of His nature. And what does He do? He comes into this world to die for mankind. That the grace of God might be seen. You know, it's fascinating if you looked at this relationship that Jesus is the son of his love. I have four children in, my, in our family, and boy, what a joy it is. And I know for any of you who are parents out there, there's just a sense of protection you have for them. I, I love them. And, and so I would protect them. I would, I would guard them. I, I suppose if anybody sought to get them or sought to harm them or sought to do anything that would be evil, that there would be a great sense of, I, I suppose, a justice in my heart. There would be a, a great sense of protection that I would have for them. But can you imagine this? Multiply how you would feel as a parent a million times and we would still have no idea what the Father went through when He sent His Son to this earth. Think about it in terms of the pre-existence. Think about what the Father saw when He looked on earth. He saw people cursing His Son. You say, who were they cursing? They were cursing the Beloved Son. The Father saw people mocking Him. Say, who were they mocking? They were mocking the Son of His love. The Father saw people throwing stones at Him. They saw people persecuting Him. And who was it that they were throwing stones at? Who was it that they were persecuting? And the answer is, is that they were doing that to His beloved. And what's a more, even more amazing than this is the Father's perfect knowledge of all the events at the crucifixion. Think about it from the Father's side. The Father sees it all. He looks down and he sees the son of his love rejected by men that he created. He looks down and he sees Judas selling him for 30 pieces of silver. You say, is that a lot of money? No, that's a 20 spot. Think about it. He who made the world was being given away for a $20 bill. The father sees his son being despised. The father sees his son being spit upon. The father looks down and sees his son being whipped. The father looks down and sees his son being beaten. The father looks down and sees his son being slapped in the face, saying, tell us who hit you, Messiah. The father looks down and sees his son being cursed at. The father looks down and he sees ultimately his son being nailed to the tree. Very God, crucified in the flesh. And you say, who was it? Up on the cross, it was the beloved Son. It was the beloved Son. 
do you begin to understand a little bit more about the love of God? For God so loved the world that He gave His what? His only begotten Son. See, a lot of times we magnify the cross and it's great, but don't ever forget that He was the Son from all time. Think about what Paul said in Romans 8.32, that He did not spare His own Son, but He delivered Him up for us all. And then, of course, Romans 5.8, that God demonstrates His own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In fact, Isaiah said it this way, that the Lord has caused, you know it, the iniquity of us all to fall on who? On Him. But don't ever forget that the Him is the beloved Son of God who dwelt in perfection from all time. In fact, amazingly enough, you know what Isaiah the prophet said? It says that the Lord was pleased to crush Him putting him to grief if he would render himself a guilt offering. The Lord was pleased to crush him. Who was the him that was being crushed? It was the beloved son. Why? Because you were a sinner. And because I was a sinner. That God loved the world so much that he gave us the son of his love. It's amazing. This is the beloved son dwelling in eternal glory and perfection in complete harmony with God the Father. Think about 2 Corinthians 5.21. You probably know it well. That He made, what? Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. Who was the Him? It was the Beloved Son. He made the Beloved Son who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. So God the Father made His Beloved a sin offering for us that we might be brought near to God. You say, that's just from the Father's side. Let me flip the tables on you. How, how do you think it was viewed from the Son's side? Th think about the Incarnation for a moment. The fact that the Word became flesh. That He who dwelt in eternity with the Father, who enjoyed perfect, unbroken communion with His Father, who Himself was perfection, who Himself was very God, who Himself was the Creator of the world. Think about this. And then God becomes a man? That's amazing, isn't it? I think as I grow in my own life and in my own heart, as I grow every year, one thing amazes me more and more is the fact that God became flesh. Think about it. The one who was the Creator, who sustains the world, who always existed, empties Himself, takes the form of a servant, takes on the limitations of mankind, and think about this. He enters a virgin womb. He's born of a woman. He's laid in a manger. Lloyd-Jones says at this point, it is the Beloved who was there going through the whole process of development as an embryo. It is inconceivable, he says. It is baffling. It is true. Then the time came when he was born in a stable and for want of a cradle, they put him in a manger. You ask, who was that baby that was born in a manger? And the answer was, it was the Beloved. It was the Beloved. He was God from all eternity, perfect communion with the Father. And think about what he does. He comes to this earth to be deserted. He comes to this earth to be spit upon. He comes to this earth to be mocked. He comes to this earth to be, if you will, punched in the face. 
It's unbelievable. He comes to this earth and he saves the very people that had been punching and mocking and cursing him. And then ultimately he was crucified. The beloved was crucified. But do you know from the beloved side or from Christ's side, there was something, think about this, far worse and far more terrible and far more horrifying than being spit upon, than being mocked, than being laughed at, and yes, than even being crucified. You say, well, Scott, what could be worse than that? What could be worse than that? And the answer is this, is that when the Beloved became very, the very God came and actually said this during His crucifixion, He said, my God, my God, why hast thou, what, forsaken me? I mean, it would be one thing, the fact that all the disciples bailed on him. It's another thing that the crowd said, crucify him. But far worse than that is to have the Father turn his back on him as he takes upon himself the sins of the world. Listen, students, you want to know about the love of God? He gave up everything for you to know his love. You and I were dead in our trespasses and sins alienated from God, unable to respond to God, unable to seek God, unable to grope after God, unable to understand who He is, and God solves the problem. And what does He do? He sends His Son down to this earth to be mocked and beaten and spit upon and ultimately to die on the cross to bear your sins that you might have access back to God. You look at the love of God and the love of God is demonstrated in the atonement on the cross when Jesus Christ, the beloved Son, the one who was always in a love relationship with His Father, came down and sacrificed so much. And yea, I would even say, look what the Father gave to us in the gift of His Son, that the grace of God might be manifested. Lloyd-Jones says this of the person of Christ. He said, the one who basked in the sunshine of the eternal love from eternity without intermission, he says he reaches a point wherein he has lost sight of the face and the smile of his Father. And he has experienced that for you and for me. If he had shrunk back from it, we would not be saved. We would not be forgiven. We would not be Christians. We would not be children of the second birth. The Beloved descended even to the degree of shame and He died and His body was buried in a grave and a stone was rolled against the door and He descended into hell, the Beloved. He went into the lowest parts of the earth and He who made everything out of nothing and it was for us and for our salvation. Lloyd-Jones says this. He says, It is only as we realize who it is that is suffering in that manner that we realize the depth and the intensity of His love toward us. He loves you. He died for you. People say to me, well, Scott, if God is so loving, then how can He send people to hell? I think that's the wrong question. The question ought to be posed is, how could God send His beloved Son down to this earth to die a death that we deserve, that we might come back and know the love of God in our life and know the grace that is channeled to us through the Beloved? Can I share one more precious truth with you? And then we'll close. One more thought. It's in that phrase, in the beloved, because it communicates something to us this morning. We've seen the phrase from the Father's side. We've seen what it means from the Son's side. But what does that phrase mean when we look at it, in the beloved? Well, think about it this way. 
that because we've been elected, that because we've been chosen, that because we've been predestined in love, watch this. It's hard to believe, and I have to just look down on my notes because if, if I didn't, I, it would be hard to express words. Listen, that we are loved by God just as the Son was dearly loved by God. It's hard to fathom. I mean, you would agree with me, would you not, that God loved His only begotten Son, His Beloved? But will you also recognize that God loves you even as He did His own Son? I've got to turn you to a Scripture. Look over at John 17. Because if it were, if, if I don't read it, I, I probably wouldn't believe that it was there. You know that He loved His Son, but He loves you. It's in His high priestly prayer in John 17. Jesus says there in 17 verse 23, He says, I in them and thou in me, that they may be perfected in unity, that the world may know that thou didst send me and didst love them even as thou didst love me. Wow! to be perfected in unity, that the world would know that Thou didst send Me and didst love them, You, even as Thou didst love Me. It's unbelievable. It's hard to fathom that as the Father loved His Son, He loves you as well. Because the believer is in Christ and because you have been adopted with this, into this relationship as a son in the Beloved, God the Father loves you as He did His own Son. And then what's even as amazing is that if you go to different places in the Scripture, and you know what it calls us? It calls us beloved. And we're not the beloved son, we're beloved children, but it says that we're beloved in Colossians 3.12 and 2 Thessalonians 2.13. So look back at Ephesians 1.6 for a second. It says there that of the work of the Father to the praise of the glory of His grace, this grace was freely bestowed in us in the Beloved, and it's in the Beloved, verse 7, that we have redemption. The grace of God is never apart from the atoning work of Jesus Christ. Don't ever forget that the relationship that the Father and the Son had from all eternity and that they now share, and what a cost it was to them. All that, that we might know the love of God. Do you know that love in your own life? Do you know that that love was incredible? It was demonstrated for you that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That while we were enemies, Romans 5.10 says that we were saved through His death. All that we might know the love of God. There is no doubt that we would understand the love of God when we understand that that grace was manifested in the Beloved Son. Bow your head with me this morning. Spend a moment just thanking the Lord, thanking God for His grace that was bestowed upon you, that was given to you, that it was bestowed upon you in the Beloved. Thank Him for His love that's been exhibited to you. Thank Him for the Lord Jesus Christ. 
that he left glory above, that he was born to die. For apart from his death, we would never know the love of God. But in that great act, we know it perfectly. Thank him for his work. Father, we just thank you this morning. It just penetrates my heart. I I reflect often, Lord, upon the cross. I think of the great sacrifice. I think of the events of the day. I think of all that went in when I look at His Son. But Lord, it, it touches my heart to know that that was Your best. That was the second member of the Trinity from all glory, basking in the eternal perfection and glory from all time who left glory above to come down to this earth that we might know Your love. Father, we're reminded of that simple phrase in Romans that you've demonstrated your own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died, or the Beloved died. For if while we were enemies of God, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. Father, thank you for the matchless gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the example that He sets for us. And Father, may we be committed to sharing this great love with other people. It needs to be heard. And I pray that you might cause our hearts to worship you because we see you high and holy and lifted up. That even Isaiah said you were pleased to crush him if he would render himself a guilt offering for us. Touch our hearts this morning. We thank you for salvation's choice and that you elected us. But, O Lord, we thank you for salvation's cost, that it came to us in the Beloved. May we find ourselves worshiping you and praising you for the love of God. And we ask this in your name. Amen.